In the New Testament book of Hebrews, in the ninth chapter, in verses 27 and 28, we're given a simple truth, but one that undergirds so much of the story of the Bible and just what it is that God's son Jesus came to do. Because we're told there, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That is what the story of the Bible is about. That's what following Jesus is about. It's what Jesus himself embodied when he came and lived a perfect life and then gave that life as a sacrifice for our sins, but rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now reigns as king. And for all of us who choose to be followers of his, who participate in that gospel by dying to ourselves, dying to our sin, being buried with him in baptism, so that we rise to begin to live a new life. We can eagerly await Jesus' coming, because just as we experience transformation in our lives now as Jesus reigns in us, we look forward to that day that he comes and puts an end to sin and puts an end to death and rescues us from all that is corrupt in this world and ushers us into a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells, where we get to be with God forever. Those are ideas that hope for what Jesus has accomplished, that hope for Jesus coming to at last put an end to sin and death that is repeated over and over throughout the New Testament. It's probably incredibly familiar to you now. I find, though, that it's important that I bring that back to the top of your mind before we read another passage of Scripture. This from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Unlike Hebrews or any of the other New Testament books, Revelation is a prophetic book. Specifically, it's a type of literature known as apocalyptic where these incredible symbols are used to tell a story that's playing out on a cosmic level of the struggle between good and evil. And as Revelation itself begins to draw to a close, in Revelation chapter 20, we're given some symbols that are among the most debated in the entire book of Revelation. Books that good and honest people disagree about how best to understand, about what the right approach to interpret them really is. And I'm not going to pretend that I will give you a once-for-all perfect interpretation of Revelation chapter 20 in the course of this short video. However, I do hope to demonstrate that the picture that's painted there in Revelation 20 is actually the exact same story that we hear in Hebrews 9, that we hear all throughout the rest of the New Testament and really the Bible as a whole, a story that finds its fulfillment in the victory and rescue that Jesus is bringing when he comes, however we might understand the other details. Because in Revelation chapter 20, beginning with the first verse, here's what John saw. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pits in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. 
After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Can you hear why that might be one of the more complex passages in Revelation? Introducing ideas that people debate, like the millennium, that thousand-year reign of Christ, or the Battle of Armageddon, as it's commonly known, as the forces of evil are mustered for one final attack against God's people, or the ultimate judgment day, and the casting of those who are found standing against King Jesus into that lake of fire, into that second death, what we commonly refer to as hell. Now, there's several different ways that this passage is commonly understood. One of the very common ways it's understood by many Bible readers is as being a pre-millennial perspective. That refers to that thousand-year reign of Jesus. And there is a belief that when Jesus comes again, when the Son of Man comes on the clouds, that it will be a pre-millennial that he will come in the air the way we've read in other New Testament passages. But then that will mark the beginning of this thousand-year period and reign of Jesus on the earth with his people before this final activity of the devil and this final battle between good and evil. And then at last the devil is overcome once and for all. The problem that I personally have with that particular approach is it lessens, in my opinion, the reality that we read throughout the rest of the New Testament, that Jesus is already reigning. As he said at the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus already is reigning. Or as Paul would proclaim in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Christ is now reigning over his kingdom until he at last comes to overcome death and the grave. So I would not be inclined to view the pictures here of Revelation chapter 20, the symbols here where even numbers and amounts of time can be symbolic, as referring to a literal period of time, and Jesus' reign doesn't begin until after he comes. I find it to harmonize much better with the rest of Scripture to take a different approach. There are certainly other approaches. There's post-millennial approaches, which say that what's described here in Revelation 20 all precede Jesus' ultimate coming, or amillennial approaches, which say fixating on a literal thousand-year period at all isn't right, but that these numbers should instead be understood as symbolic. Now, I hesitate to put a label on my own views, much less to proclaim those views as being the final word on the subject that you also should adopt. But I will suggest this. When we read Revelation, appreciate, as we've discussed before, that it's not really saying to us anything different from what the rest of Scripture has already said. But it is painting us a picture of what that might look like. And what is the picture of Revelation? Well, it's one that those who die for their faith get to be with Jesus. It's one where they are still waiting in hope for Jesus' ultimate victory, after which sin and evil are completely vanquished, death and the grave are undone. And then those who belong to Jesus get to live in God's presence forever. That's the big picture. Of Revelation, behind the symbols of thousand-year reigns, behind the symbols of Gog and Magog amassing for war, we have a picture that is very much in tune with all the other passages we've been looking at in this series, very much in tune with the story of the Bible as a whole, that if we die now, we go to be with Jesus. And even in the midst of struggle, while God's word will be proclaimed, while Jesus' reign will be experienced, but there will still be hard times, there will still be battles ahead, ultimately Jesus will come. And no matter how great the forces of evil may look, he will in an instant overcome them. And then that'll be it. Death will be ended. And all that awaits after that point will be judgment, where those who belong to Jesus will be gathered together with him. And those who didn't stand with Jesus will face judgment for the things that they did in life. They'll face a second death, where separated from God's life and light and love forever, all that can really be used to describe their existence is eternal torment. That's the picture as I see it in Revelation chapter 20. And it's a magnificent painting of what the rest of the Bible has to tell us about death and judgment. And if we'll let the beauty in the images strike us, if we'll allow it to get our attention, then like the rest of the New Testament, it will comfort us if we have chosen to stand with Jesus, that the battle is won and victory is coming. And if we haven't yet decided to stand with Jesus, it'll challenge us to consider where we do stand. It'll challenge us to repent to come to Jesus, to be united with him. So that instead of 
facing being apart from him forever because we're apart from him now. We can be joined with him and live every day of our lives now and forever.